Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For information about the church, you can go to our website, connectionschurch.church, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram. Well, good morning. So glad to be here. So glad that uh, the presence of the Lord showed up. Are you? Undoubtedly, if we were to go through this morning and um, ask, what, is the mo- what do you think the most important thing in your faith walk is, you would say, prayer. Maybe some of you may not have known that you were going to say that, but that's what you would say, prayer. Because your prayer life, your prayers are your communication path to God Almighty. Did you know that? This is how you communicate with Him and how He communicates with you. This opens doors in your life. And this morning as we continue in our series called Living the Bold Life, how many of you have been with us most of these Sundays or gone back and listened to the podcast online. If you haven't, I encourage you to do that. If you've missed any of these, because God calls us to live the bold life. Say bold with me. Bold. Say it bolder. Bolder. <laughs> Got some boulders over here. He's called us to live the bold life. There's a time and a place for being timid being quiet. I enjoy my quiet time. I enjoy my quiet time more now that I'm older than I used to. But there's also a time and a place where we have to understand that God has called us to be bold. And some of you, and I thank God for the work that He's done in some of you, some of you have, have come back over the last couple of weeks of, after some of these sermon uh, messages on living the bold life and said, Pastor, He's given me the ability to be bold. I, I told somebody at work about Jesus. They, they asked me about my faith, and I was able to be bold. I don't know if I could have done that if I hadn't have latched on for the last couple of weeks. And so I want to encourage you this morning to latch on to what God has for you this morning. Will you latch on? Yes. Two people. Great. If you've got your handouts, get those out. You're going to want to take some notes this morning. You'll notice it's about bold prayer this morning. That's what we're talking about. And if you've got your word with you, turn it on or get it out. We're going to be in Hebrews. And I want to start out in Hebrews chapter 4. And I need you to read this with me boldly. Now, I don't know if you can read it boldly sitting down. That's up to you. I'd have to stand up. But we're going to read God's word together. Are you ready? Is it going to be bold? He deserves it. Here we go. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Some of your versions or translations may say, 
We are to approach the throne of grace with boldness. Say bold with me one more time. And you can be seated. This verse calls us to do something. A lot of times when we read God's Word, we don't understand that we're being called to do something. We don't understand maybe that, that we're being told to do something, to take some kind of action. We just read it and go, well, that's nice. That's nice. I'll keep that in the back of my mind. But this is not one of those verses. The writer of Hebrews comes and says, you have a great high priest who is Jesus, the Son of God. And because of that, you are to come boldly to the throne of grace. Do you know what it is to come boldly to the throne of grace? That's prayer. That's what he was talking about. That's what he's referring to when he says, come boldly. Now, some of you, I, I may need to illustrate and understand and bring you back a little bit. Hebrews being in the New Testament, this terminology of high priest comes from the Old Testament. If you go to Leviticus chapter 16, don't go there right now. Leviticus chapter 16, you'll understand and you'll read through this process that God gave to the children of Israel. How many of you remember that the children of Israel were released out of captivity from Egypt? When they were released from the captivity of Egypt, with Moses leading the way, and God brought them out of the Egyptian slavery, he said, you're to set up a tabernacle and I'm gonna dwell in that tabernacle. I'm gonna be there amongst you. And it's really a great story because even when you go back and read how they left Egypt, do you remember the 10 plagues, anybody? Egypt and the Egyptians and Pharaoh and all the people had had it with all these plagues that had occurred. And on their way out, as two million people are marching across the desert, going through, they gave them everything they needed to create this tabernacle. Isn't God good? In the midst of leaving captivity, in the midst of finally being released from bondage, God allowed the Egyptian people to take their wealth, their materials, their gold, and say, here, take it, just get out. And they took it with them when they left. And then God said, I need you to erect a tabernacle and the exact pieces and dimensions and fabrics and materials and everything that they were to put inside the tabernacle, they had because of God's hand of provision. That should hit somebody right here this morning. You're in the midst of what you might consider to be a, a, a closed-in area. You're captive, and God is releasing you, and on your way out, he's going to give you everything you need. Does anybody want to say amen to that this morning? You're not coming out of captivity empty-handed. You're coming out with everything you had. So they had everything in their hand that they needed to set up this tabernacle. So God could dwell in their presence. You see, at that time, they didn't have Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We're New Testament believers, but these were Old Testament people. And so God couldn't dwell in them. He had to dwell amongst them. They set up the tent, the tabernacle, and it had compartments and chambers. There was a gate that everyone had to go through, and there was an outer court, and it had a laver, and so they could wash their hands and go through the purification rituals. And there was a, an a altar there that they brought and, and offered burnt offerings 
offerings. And then there was a, a holy place on the inside of that that only the priests could go to to offer sacrifice. And then on the inner side of that, way back in the back of the tabernacle, there was a place called the Most Holy Place or the Holy of Holies. And it had this large, heavy curtain that was draped over the entrance of it. So people who even wanted to look in there couldn't see. They couldn't see in there. They couldn't go in there. Nobody could go into the Holy of Holies except one time a year. On that one time of year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest, here's where we get back to the high priest. The high priest took an offering of blood from an animal into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled that blood on the mercy seat, on the covering of the Ark of the Covenant that was in there. In the presence of God Almighty, he sprinkled the blood one time. Only the high priest could go in. And if they had done everything right, if he had no sin in his life that wasn't confessed, if they had followed the ritual process exactly as it should have been, there would be success. He would sprinkle the blood and the sins of the people, two million strong, and of himself would be forgiven by God for a year. They had to repeat this day of atonement every year. That was the process that God laid out. They would even tie a rope to the ankle of the high priest as he went in so that if something went wrong, they could jerk him out of there, just drag him out dead because nobody else was going in there. They believed what God had said and they knew that he would bring it to pass. And so that's the Old Testament covenant, the Old Testament process of having your sins forgiven. And so when we look at that verse again, when we go back to Hebrews chapter four and it says, seeing then that we have a great high priest, it's the person who's gonna take care of your sins for you. Are you following me this morning? The great high priest is the, the person the one that God has ordained to take care of your sins. He, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. It's Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. What is our confession? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Say that with me. That Jesus Christ is Lord. That's your confession. That's what you hold on to no matter what. He says, for we do not have a high priest that can't sympathize with our weaknesses. Who's glad about that this morning? Don't you hate that when someone comes up and says, yeah, I, I understand what you're talking about. And you know good and well they have no idea what you're going through. And you kind of look at them like, you don't have any idea what I'm going through. But that's not Jesus, the Son of God. Is anybody hearing that this morning? He understands our weaknesses. He, he can sympathize and empathize with our weaknesses. Why? Because he was fully man and fully God at the same time. He came to earth and experienced everything that you and I are experiencing. We turn to the person beside you and, and tell them he experienced everything that you're going through. Tell them. He experienced everything that you're going through. He can empathize and sympathize with everything that we're going through. He even understands our weaknesses. Well, pastor, I have a tendency to be weak in this area. Yeah, Jesus understands that. You thought you were hiding that to the side and, and nobody else knew and it was one of those little secret things that David talks about in Psalms 19, a secret sin. But Jesus understands that. He is your high priest. 
And he knows and understands your weaknesses. The only difference is he was without sin. Aren't you glad your high priest was without sin? I am so glad this morning. And so uh, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say, let us therefore, and I want you to underline that if you do that in your Bible. Some of you get upset and you won't underline anything in your Bibles. Highlight that, write that on somebody else's hand so you can see it. Let us therefore, let us therefore what? Come boldly to the throne of grace. You see, this is where you get the key. This is where the license comes to you from Jesus, the Son of God, and says, you can have the key to your prayer life. Number one on your outline, let's just go ahead and fill that in, is we have a high priest and his name is what? His name is Jesus. Don't forget that. Don't forget and, and don't, let, don't pass over that lightly, that your high priest, you got to take this personally, right? The children of Israel knew who their high priest was. It, it was. it was either Aaron at the beginning, Moses' brother Aaron, or one of his descendants. They were the high priest. There was no doubt about who they were. Nobody else could serve in that role. God said it has to be Aaron or one of his sons that are high priests. They knew who their high priest was. Do you know who your high priest is today? It's Jesus, the Son of God. He says, having that knowledge, knowing that this is who your high priest is, let us therefore come boldly. You've got to take the knowledge that you have and you've got to turn it into action. Let us therefore. Some of us might use that terminology maybe a little bit differently. We don't go around our houses generally saying, let us therefore eat dinner. But if you had the knowledge that dinner was cooked, wouldn't you say that? In some other way, perhaps. But wouldn't you say, it smelleth to me like roast beef is ready. Let us therefore Gather at the table and eat. That's what the writer's trying to tell you. With the knowledge I just gave you, that Jesus the Son is your high priest, let us therefore, it's a command, it gives instruction, and it calls us to action, do what? Come boldly. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Why would we come boldly to the throne of grace? The writer of Hebrews doesn't leave us hanging. I love it when Jesus doesn't leave us hanging, don't you? He says, so that you may, what? Obtain mercy and grace when? In your time of need. How many of you are in your time of need right now? I am. Put your hand up. Be proud of it because you're in the right place. God has called you to the right day to be at Connections Church on this Sunday, and he laid this word on my heart so that we could come and remind you one more time, it is coming boldly to the throne of grace that releases you to obtain mercy. How many of you are just grateful this morning for God's mercy? Oh, undeserving mercy. Mercy that covers everything in our life. And grace. Unmerited favor from the creator of the universe. You say, well, pastor, I just don't feel like I'm worthy of grace. Duh! You can't be worthy of grace. 
It's free. He gives it to whomever he chooses, and he chose you and I. Somebody ought to give him praise this morning. To give us unmerited grace and unmerited mercy. Mercies, it says in Scripture, that are new every day. That's number two on your outline. The result of coming with boldness is that you may obtain mercy and that you may obtain grace. Now, I'm a literalist when it comes to the Bible. If that Scripture encourages me, commands me, and tells me that if I come boldly to the throne of grace, I'll obtain mercy and I'll obtain grace, then in my mind, it also tells me that if I don't come boldly, I may not receive those things. Is that fair? Some of you don't like that. It's okay. It's a command that he gives us to come boldly. Don't come timidly, don't, don't be Bashful, don't hover just around the corner like they had to in the Old Testament. Like I told you about the, the tabernacle. Can you imagine when the high priest was just about to pull that veil aside and go in? Everybody probably went and held their breath. And they watched to see if he would come back out or if he would drop dead. There was fear. There was timidity. There was unknown in that process of having their sins forgiveness, but we are not under that covenant anymore. We are under the new covenant because our high priest is who? Jesus, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we don't have to wait around the corner and see what's going to happen. We don't have to approach like this and be real quiet. No, sir. We can stand upright. He gave us the ability and the privilege as sons and daughters of the Most High God to come before His throne with our heads high and approach Him boldly. It's the boldness and the result of that boldness that brings on the mercy and the grace that we so desperately need in our lives. As Joe comes to give you a, a few more points, I want to encourage you to start to think about boldness, to start to think about areas in your life where you maybe haven't been as bold as you need to. And one of the reasons, if you might be picking up here, one of the reasons they feared God so much in that whole process is you got to understand the children of Israel, they saw God do some amazing things. It wasn't like in our time. They saw God part the waters so they could get through. They saw God lead them by day and night. So they understood the power that God had. And so at this time that they were, the high priest was going in for their sins, they knew if this is not right, he's not coming out. So that's why, like Pastor Scott said, they tied it, and it actually had a little bell that they would put on them, and, and the bell didn't ring, or go ahead and pull them out, because he's not, he's not going to make it. Listen, that's the whole part of, with this. He says that we now have a new covenant with Jesus. 
The Old Testament covenant, like you said, it happened every year. So at the Day of Atonement, this time of year, me and my family, we would take and grab up a, a lamb or a bull or a bullock or whatever the, we needed to take to the, the sacrifice, take to the high priest, and he would sacrifice this for us. Now, it also says in Hebrews 7 that the high priest had to make sacrifices for himself as well, had to make it daily. So this is uh, the privilege that we have that we don't have to do this. We don't have to pack up and, and walk to Raleigh or we don't have to pack up and, and take a trip to Asheville to a high priest so he could sacrifice and hope that he was in the right standing with God so that we would be in the right standing with God. It was the fact that it, it covered our sins. It didn't take them away. It just covered them so we could make it until the next time we had to come to the Day of Atonement. Uh, Hebrews let's see here, 9, 13 and 14. Let me read this. If the blood of the sacrifice would sanctify, which is free them from sins, the outwardly, then how much more would the Christ's blood, which was unblemished, cleanse our conscience, our mind, our thinking from the acts that lead to death. We have a privilege in this new covenant that we don't have to worry about these things. We don't have to bother ourselves with knowing or, or thinking, uh, is he going to be okay? Did, did he do what he had to do for me and my family? Jesus Christ died on the cross. He fulfilled this new covenant. God said it in Hebrews 7 again that the reason why I'm going to bring you a new covenant is because you're not faithful in the old covenant. So he had to have something to overpass that. And so Jesus is the new covenant and his blood unblemished, sanctified. His blood is pure. If the old covenant just covered our sins, the writer here is asking, how much more would Jesus' blood do? It's to take away our sins, to forget our sins. That's why in John 19, 30, when he was on the cross, he said, it's finished. It's complete. I've done it. Now you can move on and you can go forward. The old covenant, the priest, he had to if I can put this in the right way, he had to make sure himself was in the right standings. He had to make sure that everything he did was in the right standings. So the privilege in this, being able to go to God, being able to go to Jesus, knowing that he is our new covenant. Jesus is the mediator, that's number three in your outline, to this new covenant. John 15, 17, the word said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be given for you. What's holding you back from being bold? We've already established that Jesus is our mediator. And so he's saying, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, anything you ask, it will be done for you. So what's holding you back? Is it, is it fear? Is it unknowing? Is it uh, lack of knowledge? 
What is holding you back from, from that confidence that we have in Jesus Christ, knowing that he died on the cross from us, he completed everything that he had to do for us. So, not to be funny, but if you were a Christian in right stands with God, you should walk around just a little bit with your chest puffed out, just like a little peacock strutting, just a little bit, because you have the right, you have the privilege, you know who your father is, and so what more should you, you should walk in the confidence, you should walk in the boldness. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious, fearful about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present to your God. That is just another scripture of telling us that we don't have to be fearful. Let's just be boldful. If you've got a situation, come before God. God, your word says this, and I'm going to stand on your word. Where is our boldness at? Why are we lacking boldness? Do we understand what boldness is? It's the freedom and liberty in God. As Pastor Scott said, he gives us mercy and grace. We should walk in that. should not be fearful if you feel unworthy. Has anyone ever felt unworthy? Like, it's just, I, I cannot do it. I, I've fallen too far. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not worthy of God. Romans 8, 32 through 38, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. It said, it is God who justifies. Then who can condemn? He goes on to say, no one. If God justified me, no one else, no matter your statute, no matter where you're at, your authority, you cannot condemn me because my father justified who I am in him. And you should have that. That's, that should be like, I mean, your back pocket. Somebody comes up, wants to condemn you. No, my God justified me. Not today. Not today. Also, they want to bring up the sins in your past, the sins that, that you used to be the old man. You can stand in boldly in their face and say, not today, because I've been justified and bought with a price by God. Bolden is unflinching. To be able to stand in somebody's face and just unflinching. There's a passage, a story in Mark, and many of you may know the story of the lady with the issue of blood. She heard that Jesus was coming through. And he, there was a crowd of people around him. The Bible says there's a crowd. It was pressed up against him. It was just, just so many people. If you can imagine him walking down through the town and everybody's around him. With this young lady who had been suffered and she tried everything she knew how. She was on her wits end. I, I don't know what else to do. But she heard that Jesus was coming. And this is how bold she was. If she could just break through the crowd and just touch the hem of his garment. She didn't have to touch him. She didn't have to have a one-on-one. -on -one. They didn't have to go get coffee. They didn't have to have a press conference. She just had that much boldness about her that if I could just touch the hem of him, I will be made whole. Why can we not walk in that faith? Have we not seen God do enough? Is that, is that our problem? Because the children, God was walking in those days. They saw what he did. We read about it. Is that our problem? It shouldn't be. Because God has demonstrated himself. He has made himself known to us. He has, he has done far more 
than enough for us to be passive, to be sitting back and, and wavering about, well, I don't know if that's God. Well, I don't know. Should I, should I go? Or if you have an a itch in your heart, if God is pressing you, you should have the mindset that if I could just get a hold of God, if I could just reach out and just, if God could hear my prayer, my bold prayer, if I could just get a hold of him, I will be made whole. This issue will be no more. Church, I urge you, I urge you to please stand on what God's word says. Be bold. I, I'm, social media is a, a double-edged sword. It's great on one end and it's terrible on the other. We see a lot of people, they post things about, about God and about prayer and, and God did this and, and God is able to do this, which all of it is right. But I'm urging you to take a step, Father. Come into a service and express that outwardly so God can know, so you can, you can rejoice before your God. Say, so my God is able to do all things. My God, he's the one. Just, just worship him outwardly so somebody else that's maybe sitting to your left or to your right would think, well, hey, if they can do it, I can do it too. They must be serving a God that can do things. So take this. We have liberty in God. We have to boldness in God. He's given this to us for a reason, so we're not timid. The devil goes after weaker people. Is that a right to say? If you're not strong in your faith, if you're wavering a little bit, he goes after you. And he may say, well, you, you know that's not right. Or, ah, you know, it's okay. You can do this. It's just a little bit. Get firm in your faith. Get in your word. Take this word and eat it up. Because you can combat the devil with the word. You can tell him, it is written that the word says, I can't do this. God's word says, it is written, this is what it is. So take hold of God's word. Chew it up a little bit. There's some good meat in here. And stand firm and be bold in whatever you do. If it's for God, be bold in doing it because he's given you boldness. So how should we pray? So if we know and we have this confidence that Jesus is our high priest, then what should our attitude and our action be towards prayer? I had a thought last night, some of you aren't going to like this, that we should be selfish when it comes to prayer. That we should take every opportunity and throw everything else out of our way and be selfish when it comes to prayer. I told you some of you weren't going to like that. But what I'm talking about is not letting other people get in my way. If I'm going to be bold in my prayer life, if I'm going to make sure that this relationship with God is going to happen, then I'm going to have to be selfish about it. I'm going to have to throw some other things out of the way. Amen? I'm going to have to schedule that on my calendar. Amen? How many of you have prayer scheduled on your to-do list? Not many. How many of you will tell your family and your spouse and your friends, now's not the time, I've got an appointment with God? Is it that important to us? Should it be that important to us? 
If we are going to get serious about our prayer life, how should we pray? We should pray with selfishness. Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 33.3, he said, I have heard from the Lord, and the Lord has said, call to me, and I will show you what? Mysteries. I will show you things that you did not know. I want to know some things that I don't know. I want him to show me mighty things like he told Jeremiah he would show him. And you know what? Jeremiah took him up on it. Jeremiah was selfish with his time. He said, I'm going to go do my preaching just like you told me to, but I'm going to spend my time getting to know you, God. He was selfish in his prayer life. Number five on your outline in addition to that is that we should pray according to God's will. How many of you have heard that before? Well, let me ask you a question. Is that always easy? No, it's always not easy, as a matter of fact. It's hard to say, God, I want to pray this according to your will. Why? Because his will and usually what we want are in direct conflict with one another. Amen? We're praying, hey, this is what I'm thinking, God. And I would be, uh, it would be great if you take my advice on this. Because I've already worked through all the scenarios. Those of us who are green on the personality chart, we've already worked through all the scenarios. This is the very best outcome, God. So if you could just answer my prayer the way I want it to be, but that's not the way God works. How many of already know that. Oh, he just loves to sit back and go, yeah, yeah, I understand that's what you want, but you don't see the big picture. You don't see everything going on in the universe like I do. He's a busy guy, but he understands exactly what you need. But we should be praying according to God's will. What does that mean for me, pastor, if I'm looking to decide on whether to take this job or that job? Well, what does that sound like then if I'm trying to decide if I should buy a house or buy a car? What if, I, what if I'm trying to decide whether or not I should get married or who my spouse should be? What, what are the big decisions in, in life and how should I pray about those? We have no choice but to pray according to God's will. Heavenly Father, this is what I desire. This is what I think, but... We need to learn how to say but when we pray. But, not my will, but yours be done. Say that with me. Not my will, but yours be done. That's a hard prayer to pray. That's a hard one to pray. Be careful on that one because God goes, okay, now we're getting somewhere. I get it. I know what you want. But if you're going to open it up and let me be God, wow, what a concept that is and my will be done, that I'm gonna do the very best thing for you in this situation. Well, I didn't get the job I wanted. Not my will, but God's be done. Hopefully, it wouldn't be this, but I didn't marry the right person. Not, not my will, but yours be done. Oh God, that's how we should pray. This is what I think in my limited human nature, in my limited cognitive ability. This is what I think. This is how I, how I see this thing going, but I don't want what I want, God. I want what you want for me, God. I, I want to follow yours. And so then the prayer becomes, help me to understand your direction. Help me to understand you're leading. And how can we pray a prayer like that anyway? Because God's Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and His Holy Spirit is praying in us and through us, and so all God's hearing is what Jesus, our mediator, and the Holy Spirit are saying to Him about our situation in our life. Aren't you glad you're not in control? I am. Because I've taken control before, and I've messed it all up. Anybody with me? I've messed it all up. 
And so my prayer has to be according to God's will. That's number five. We should pray according to God's will. But there's one area, just want to bring it to you really quickly, where we don't have to worry about and understand what God's will is. Does anybody know? The salvation of a soul. We know. We have confidence. We can come boldly and we can say, God, this person needs Jesus. This person needs salvation. His desire, God's will, is that every person should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So when we pray about somebody and their salvation, someone who needs Jesus, someone who who doesn't know him, we don't have to worry about it and say, oh God, if it's your will. No, it is his will. We can come boldly. We can have confidence in that. And we can say, God, in this situation, this person desperately needs a touch from you. They need to know you. They need to know Jesus as a personal savior. This is your will, and I will stand on that, and we call their name, and we pray for them. It does no good for us to be sheepish or sneaking around, looking around the corner when we approach the throne. It does no good for us to act like we're waiting on a lightning bolt to come and strike us from heaven if we happen to say the wrong thing. As a matter of fact, that doesn't show reverence or humility in any way, shape, or form. It shows our lack of understanding of who God is. It shows that we have doubt and that we are faithless in our prayers. That is not what He expects from us. When we seek Him, when we pray with boldness, We say, Father, I'm interested in you being a part of my decision making. I'm interested in you being a part of my life. I'm putting this in your hands because I don't have the ability or the capacity. I will mess this up. I need you. And that puts us at a place where we're vulnerable. That puts us at a place where we're releasing control of our life, but we're releasing it to the Creator who knows everything. When we pray, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. When we pray for someone's salvation, we're praying in accordance with his word. We're praying confidence, and we're allowing him to understand our position, and that is that we will submit to his commands and to his decrees. Number six on your outline says, boldness says, by the authority of the resurrected Jesus, I come before your throne. I want to repeat that. That's a powerful statement. Boldness says, by the authority of the resurrected Jesus, that's where the authority comes from, I come before your throne. That is a completely different picture than some of you grew up with in religious settings in different churches and different areas, and I'm not putting down any other religion, I'm just saying the church as a whole has done a bad job explaining and showing how to pray. They've done a bad job in the fact that they have told us that it has to be strict and it has to be this and we have to follow this and that and the other, and that is not what this says. This says boldness comes in the authority of the resurrected Jesus. And so therefore, if we take the Lord's Prayer, for example, our Father, who art in heaven, we can come before Him and say, our, my Father, 
There's some authority in that because of who Jesus is. My Father. It's personal to me. I'm going to approach him with relationship as my Father, who art in heaven. I'm putting you in your rightful place. You are in heaven. Jesus, you are at the right hand of the Father as my mediator, interceding for me all the time. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. We're releasing authority. We're saying, it's not my will but yours. Your kingdom come. Bring it to pass on earth as it is in heaven. And then you put your ask out there. Give us this day our daily bread. But you bring that with boldness. It's not repetition. It doesn't matter what words you use. This is a personal relationship. I don't speak to my wife in a personal relationship the same way you do or your spouse. We all do that differently. Why should our relationship with God not be the same? We come with boldness before his throne. We proclaim his word, and by the authority of the resurrected Jesus, we come before your throne. Here's what's about to happen. I'm looking for some people that are here with me today in the few short minutes that we have left that would like to do some bold praying. That's not going to be comfortable for some of you because you're not used to that. You're not used to opening your mouth. You're not used to expressing anything, and that's okay. You see, boldness doesn't look the same for all of us. It just so happens that I haven't learned how to pray quietly yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't taught me that. And it just so happens, as, as before the service today when we were praying, I, I can't pray sitting down. I've tried, and it just doesn't work for me. Because I believe that when boldness has to happen, when it needs to look like boldness, it also needs to sound like boldness, that I just can't do that quietly. Maybe you can. I just haven't learned how to do that yet. I'm asking you if you will set aside all the things that we may have drug in here with us that are heavy, and that you will take advantage of this moment, and we're going to pray boldly. I can't construct that. I, I can't tell you exactly what that's going to look like. It's up to God. But if you need God to do something big in your life, whatever that is, you should be down here. If you're facing big decisions in your life, whatever that looks like, you should be down here. If you've got a health issue, and you have no control over that, but you need God to do something big in your life, you, you, should, be, you should be down here. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your high priest, you should be down here. You say, well, I don't even know anything about that, and I don't have a high priest. You're exactly right. You don't have anybody mediating for you. You need that in your life. You should be down here. If you're not sure if you're filled with the Spirit, you should be down here. We're going to pray boldly with you today. 
If you're in any leadership position in this church or serve on any of the volunteers teams, you should be down here. We want this to be a praying church. Amen? We can do services. We can sing music. We can do classes and connect groups. Nothing wrong with any of that. But if we leave praying out, it's worthless. If you're here for any other reason that the Holy Spirit's just been talking to you over the last few minutes and you say, you know what? I could use some practice praying boldly. boldly. You should come. So that's the invitation. If that's you, get up. Get down here. And let's get some praying done. Like I said, I didn't orchestrate this. God did. I know this, I know He wants to hear your voice. You may need to walk. You may need to pace. Let's don't be so staunch and so churchy that we can't get up and just express. ourselves to God. Come on, church, pray boldly. Take it up a notch. Lord, we come boldly to your throne. Lord, if there's someone in this room that doesn't know that they're filled with your spirit, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit even now. God, it's, a, it's the difference in a man and a woman's life. Not to just know that they're saved, but to be filled and walking in your spirit. Is there anybody here that just wants God to fill them with their spirit anew? Would you just raise your hand? Joseph, can I get your help over here?
Keep that hand up for just a second. We're just going to anoint you with oil. Heavenly Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus, our resurrected Lord, that you would fresh and anew fill Patricia with your Holy Spirit, God. Make it today. Make today a day that is change in her life. Excuse me. We just want to come through and pray for you guys. Anybody else back here? Excuse me. Heavenly Father, fill her with your spirit, God. Make her fresh and anew and on fire. God, I just praise you in Jesus' name. Fill him with your spirit. God, fill her with your Holy Spirit, God, that she would know you in a powerful way, in a miraculous way. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord God, that you would fill Miss Roberta with your spirit today, God. You got some. Anybody over here? Anybody over here just looking for a fresh new dose of Holy Spirit? Anybody? Heavenly Father, fill us with your spirit. Anybody need healing over here? Somebody who's just got something going on in their body and they're looking for God to do something big? Excuse me. Excuse me. Would y'all help me pray for her, Heavenly Father? We anoint her today as Scripture tells us to, and we ask for your healing touch in her body, God. We ask you to touch her from the top of her head to the soles of her feet. Let nothing, nothing move forward in her body without your permission, God. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Jesus' precious name. Lord, I pray for the leadership of this church that's standing down here. God, people who serve in ministry, that you would no longer allow us to be timid or meek, but that you would give us a holy boldness for who Jesus Christ is in our lives. Whether we're checking kids in on a, on a Sunday morning or leading a connect group throughout the week, Lord, give us a boldness that brings people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Will y'all help me pray? I feel like I'm doing all the praying up here. Lord, just come and fill us with your spirit and, and let your, your spirit roll over this place. Let someone understand. Let their eyes be open. God, there's somebody standing up here today who has an addiction in their life. God, break that addiction in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. It has no place here. It cannot be here. You will bring deliverance. You are the resurrected Son of God. Lord, for those that are here today that possibly have a need for direction in their life, they're trying to make a decision, God. I pray that you would bring that decision to clarity for them. Show them your path, God. Don't let them wander in the wilderness. Lead them, God. Give them the eyes, the spiritual eyes and the spiritual ears to hear what saith the Lord today. God, there's marriages that are on the brink of destruction. You just laid that on my heart. God, would you, would you touch those marriages today? Lord, would you touch those marriages today? Would you rekindle that fire that 
used to be there? Will you cause softness in the heart of one or both people who are being hard and not, and not allowing you to work in their marriage? God, we've got people in our families that aren't saved. It's your will that none of them should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I want you to call their name right now and ask God to save them. Do you believe he'll do it? God, we call the names of our loved ones that desperately need a touch from you, that you would bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, that you would save them. God, they might seem like they're so far gone, but we put them in your hands. We call on the name of Jesus, the resurrected power of Jesus, to meet them wherever they are right now, that they would know you, that they would find you even in the gutter, even in the bar, wherever they find themselves today, that somehow, some way, the name of Jesus would fall across their lips. Oh God, save their souls today before time runs out. It is not your will that any should perish, but that all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We stand on your word today, God. God, I pray that you would continue to give us this boldness. You've grown this boldness inside of us, God. You, you've planted it there. You've given us permission to approach the throne of grace with boldness. So now, God, even in our prayer time at home when we're by ourselves, even if someone asks us to stand in a congregation and pray, give us the ability to be bold. We don't serve a dead God. We don't serve a God that does not know our weaknesses. We serve you, almighty God. We serve the one, the true, the living God who is holy and righteous, who is worthy of all of our praise. And in that, we have the ability to stand with our hands raised and our heads high and say, worthy is the Lamb of God. Holy, holy, holy is his name. We will not bow away. We will not be shy. We we will stand in the confidence that comes in knowing you. Is anybody standing in his confidence this morning? We worship you today, God. Seal it up, God. We seal up this word today in your Holy Spirit. And now, God, as the team comes, we want to worship you one more time. I don't want to go back to my seat. I don't want to bow my head. I want to give him the praise, the honor, and the glory that he deserves. I may have to do that by myself, but I'm thinking with you guys down here with me, we can make it happen. God is doing such great things in and through his people, and we get to be a part of that. Would you worship him? Would you worship him with boldness this morning? Thank you for tuning in to this week's message. For information about the church, you can go to our website, connectionschurch.church, or you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram.